All right. Good afternoon, everyone. How are you all doing? Great. Awesome. Awesome. My name's Shayan Biswas. I'm a senior product manager with Amazon Relational Database Service. Joining me today is my colleague, Yuav Elat, who is also a senior product manager with Amazon RDS. So before I get into uh, the topic and what we are going to cover today's agenda, essentially, for the session, I just want to get a sense of the room. So just by a quick show of hands, how many of you are running MySQL on your own machine, maybe in your data center, in your basement, office? Yeah, all right, quite a few hands. All right, and so how many of you are running MySQL on, say, EC2, EC2 instances? Okay, a few hands there, okay. And uh, how many of you are running MySQL databases on RDS? All right, we have a great mix here. So we have something for all of you, right? So we are going to walk through different options AWS provides you uh, for running MySQL databases in AWS and uh, what those options are. We'll dive deeper into that and how you can choose between the three options, right? So we'll work through a decision framework that you can use to decide uh, which one to go for. So what, uh, what are the three options? Uh, the first option is, of course, fully self-managed database. You are running your own database in EC2, so that's a choice available to you. The alternative to that is a fully managed database, and that is provided from by RDS, Relational Database Service. All the operations you can think of, routine operations about uh, installing your database, patching your database, operating your database, taking backups, all those things are taken care of by RDS for you. So within RDS, you have a choice of RDS MySQL and MariaDB, both community editions of it. And the third choice that you have is Aurora, Amazon Aurora with MySQL compatibility. It's also PostgreSQL uh, compatible, but we'll focus on MySQL today. And it is a purpose-built cloud-native database designed to provide you the performance of high-end commercial databases at the price point of open source databases. So we'll give a quick overview of those options and then dive deeper into each of those options and how um, you can uh, compare and contrast these choices. So what you see on the screen right now on your um, left-hand side is essentially a typical layout of a database deployment. So orchestration by that, what we mean is you probably have scripts, you have um, some sort of you know, automation written up to deploy your databases, patch them, upgrade them. Um, and then maybe you are using a proxy server, we'll talk about that. You are of course uh, selecting your database, so um, you know, MySQL, MariaDB, whichever version you want to go with, 5.6, 5.7.8, whatever it is. And then the operating system you're installing on, right? So you have to install that as well. And finally, of course, you know, the instance itself, you are selecting that. You do, with EC2 instances, on, uh, on this in this case, you have a choice of storages that are available to you. So in an EC2 instance, you have local storage um, that sits around only till the instance is up. So for whatever reason, instance goes down, by mistake you stop it, delete it, then your data goes away. So the alternative to that is a network storage service, which is Amazon EBS, Elastic Block Storage. So this is what you manage entirely on EC2. These are all the things you have to run on yourself, by yourself. On your 
right-hand side, what you see is what RDS manages for you. So all the orchestration, all the choices, all the, uh, all the configurations that I just described, it's fully managed for you by RDS. So what remains then is the application. So that's what you get to do with RDS. We take care of, RDS takes care of um, common routine maintenance tasks so that you can focus on you know, designing the schema, optimizing your queries, building amazing applications for your end customers. So there are several benefits that you get with EC2 if you compare with your on-premises environment. Uh, the first and foremost benefit is that maybe on-premises environment, you need a new server. It used to take days, weeks, sometimes months. On EC2, with just a click of a few buttons on the console or an API call, you can provision an instance. So that's amazing, immensely powerful. Uh, on top of that, all the networking, you t think about security groups or firewalls, all that is configurable through our APIs through SDKs. It's all programmatic access. You manage that as code. And then you have a choice of, as I was saying, ephemeral or local desk and EBS. So you have to pick that choice, make that choice, figure out what works best for your needs, your application. And then maybe you have some custom configurations. Um, this custom configurations could be very niche storage engines, maybe you know, Spider storage engine, Federated X storage engine, or maybe some niche um, replication feature. It could be multi-source replication. It could be filtered replication. So these are capabilities you can configure, but then you're taking on the overhead of managing the entire database stack yourself. And oftentimes what we hear from customers is that they don't want to deal with it. So and this gap that I was talking about, um, the features that I was talking about, like replication filtering, uh, multi-source replication, we are continuously building such features into RDS as well. So the common ask from customers then is manage the entire database stack for me so that I can focus on what really matters to my end customers, building amazing applications. So Amazon Relational Database Service is a fully managed database service that helps you provision, operate, and scale relational databases in the cloud. We offer six different engines. Uh, you can say six or seven. Aurora itself comes in two compatibility modes, MySQL and Postgres. And then you get community MySQL, 5.6, MariaDB, you get up to 10.3. And Postgres, which is also a popular open source choice. You also have a choice of commercial engines, Microsoft SQL Server, and Oracle. With Aurora, I'll talk a little bit more about what we have done here. We have completely innovated on the storage layer. We'll get into the details of that. What that gets you is speed, performance, and availability of high-end commercial databases at a price point and simplicity that you experience from open source databases like MySQL. It's fully compatible with MySQL and Postgres, so if you're running an application that uh, works on MySQL or Postgres today, you can just switch it over, flip it over to Aurora, and it should function. And it has a very simple pay-as-you-go model for storage, for compute, everything. 
So why, uh, which, which option should you go for and when? So we are going to now walk through uh, decision criteria, decision matrix that you can use to evaluate these different options and figure out what works best for you. So when we ask customers, like, what do they desire in their database, they typically uh, tell us that they want, like, to be, when I'm running a database, I want to customize a little bit uh, that database according to my application's needs. So that's a requirement. I want my database to be fully managed, of course, so manageability is a key aspect of it. And you want your developers to be productive on these databases, so how quickly and easily they can build applications on your database. So that's another criteria. Then moving on, performance is something really, really important as well. You want your databases to be performant. You don't want them to be slow. You want them to be in returning queries or processing queries as quickly as possible. Then it comes to availability and disaster recovery. If your database is not up, it's performing great, but it's not up most of the times, no point, right? So you want your uh, database to be highly available and be also be able to recover from you know, wide-scale um, you know, events that may happen. Finally, of course, everyone cares about security. So you want a very secure database deployment. So let's walk through each one of those uh, one by one. And first one we'll look at is customization. So on RDS, what you get in terms of configurations, uh, customizations, is that we provide you parameter groups. These are essentially parameters you can set for configuring how your database runs. I'll give an example for MySQL. So in MySQL, you can uh, configure build logs. Um, yourself takes quite a bit of work to do that. Here, what you can do is you can simply create a read replica with the click of a button. You also can just turn on bin logs using a parameter value, which is uh, bin log turned on or off. You can set the type of bin logs you're using by you know, row format, whatever format, GTID you want to enable, you can do that. Uh, database choices that you get with RDS include uh, open source ones, of course, MySQL, MariaDB, if we talk about uh, the MySQL side of the world, and Aurora uh, as well. So you have a choice of those three things. Then we support three different types of instance families uh, for the databases. These are optimized for running databases. So um, the first one is R family of instances, R5 being the most recent, uh, which is uh, memory optimized database uh, instance available to you. Then M family of instances, which are standard compute instances. And finally, T family of instances. So all three options available to you. Coming to database storage, uh, you can pick within EBS, Elastic Block Storage Service, you get a choice of provisioned IOPS or you know, SSD. Um, you can pick what works best for you. You can set how many PyOps you want or provisioned IOPS do you want. Or if you go with Aurora, Aurora uses a purpose-built, uh, log-structured, distributed storage layer. We'll provide details of that, so you have that option as well available to you. Finally, in terms of backups, they're um, take, uh, taken, uh, backups are taken uh, on an automatic basis. You can schedule them as well. And they are uh, shipped out, the snapshots are shipped out to S3 so that you can keep them there uh, for durability purposes. 
And everything that we talked about is, of course, available to you through APIs, through SDKs, through the console. So it's as easy as just going to the console, clicking a few buttons. You can create a bin log read replica. You can scale up your instance, scale down your instance, take a backup, take a snapshot, restore a snapshot, do point-in-time recovery. All those operations are very simple and straightforward. Coming to EC2, all the orchestration that I talked about is your responsibility. You have to build the scripts. You have to write the automation for it. You can, in terms of plugins, extensions, different storage engines, I gave an example before, you know, Spider Engine or Federated X Engine. All that you can, of course, install. Typically, those are not very common cases. So uh, it's something that you have to decide on your own what works best for you and your application. Then you have to also install the operating system yourself. Patch it yourself. Install uh, the database. Patch it, upgrade it, manage it yourself. And in terms of compute instances, there are a few choices that are available to you uh, in addition to what RDS supports. Maybe there's, uh, there's a very large, or you, know, you, know, you want a specific type of an instance that's not offered, that's a choice. Um, and database storage, of course, EBS or local storage, you work with it. Backups are totally your responsibility. Nothing is automated. You have to take, make sure you use something like MySQL dump or Purpona Extra Backup to take the backups from your database and store it securely, maybe in S3, wherever you prefer. So overall, that gives you some control and management in terms of uh, you know, what you can do on EC2 instances, but mostly customers are looking for a fully managed service. That's what we hear from customers, so let's dive deeper into the manageability aspects and what RDS provides you in that area. So for that, I'm going to hand over to my colleague, Yaf. Okay, thanks, Jan. And uh, before we move any further, maybe if we could turn on the timer at the bottom of the stage, so just so we can pace ourselves more accurately. Or does any of you have the time? Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, okay, so let's talk about manageability. Um, so we'll focus, what did I do? Sorry. So we'll focus on the manageability capabilities of RDS running open source engines, the standard MySQL and MariaDB engines, and then how it's different in Aurora, which is the, you know, the MySQL compatible engine that we also offer on RDS. So some of the core things that you basically get you know, with any RDS engine is, like Chayanne mentioned, automated operating system and database version upgrades. Uh, you can scale, you can change the instance sizes very easily. The bin log replication is managed for you by turning on some parameters, as we mentioned. So all of these things are basically done for you. So that reduces a lot of the manageability, you know, the, the management uh, work that you need to do. Uh, you get uh, the, you can look at the logs in the AWS standard log uh, services, uh, basically in, in CloudWatch logs. You can look at the logs and you can probably, uh, in most cases, you want to correlate that with application logs or logs from other sources in order to do your troubleshooting. So all of that is, these are the benefits that you get from running it as a managed, as a managed database service instead of running it yourself. Uh, a few things that came out this year for those of you who already know RDS and are here to learn about what's new. So new instance families um, upgraded to R5, M5, and T3 from last year's R4 and T2 and so on. Uh, that's one thing. We increased the storage limits up to 64 terabytes and 80K uh, IOPS. 
So that obviously allows you much more read and write scalability. And per second billing is something that's being rolled gradually across various AWS services. So there's a certain minimum, but after that you pay only by the second. So I don't know if you're, if you're planning to run, run your database just for a few seconds, but if that's the case, um, you know, it's, uh, it might turn out to be a little bit cheaper. Okay, uh, let's talk uh, a little bit more about backups and, and snapshots. So backups is what we usually call the, um, the periodic backups that, that we take. So every day there's a backup that gets, uh, that gets stored, so you can do point-in-time recovery to any day that you want. And you can also take manual snapshots, as we usually call them, so you can take an entire uh, dump of your database into Amazon S3 and you know, do whatever you want with that. You can share it across accounts. You can share it across AWS regions. So you get all those options. Your data, even though, it's, uh, even though your database is running as a managed service on AWS, it doesn't mean that your data is you know, hostage in any way. You can just take it and anywhere you want outside of RDS, outside of AWS. You can take it wherever you want. Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit more about Aura specifically. So in Aura, as we said, there is a, a specially designed storage system. It's not Amazon EBS or, any of, or EFS or any of the other familiar ones. This is a storage system that we developed which is purpose-built for databases. And the way it works is very much what you would typically find in a database more so than in a storage system. So it's not block storage or, or file storage. It's actually what we call log-structured storage. So every time you write, every time the database uh, writes something, the logs get written at the end of uh, sort of conceptually this huge log file, which is stored in the storage system. And that um, allows us to go back in time to any point um, to see how the logs, or you can roll back your database to any point in time to the way it was before. So every time you write, it basically gets added at the end as in terms of our implementation, but the MySQL database simply sees um, you know, a, a storage system that stores pages just like any other MySQL database. Um, another really nice thing is that your data gets stored six times. So that's, you know, it's very unlikely that it'll be lost. It's pretty durable if we have six copies of everything. And that gets stored across three availability zones. So whatever region you choose, you know, Northern Virginia, um, it, you know, you would have in three availability zones two copies of the data in each one. So that uh, makes the, the, the storage system very resilient. And in terms of availability, it is designed to survive, not to survive, but you know, to stay up uh, with AZ plus one failures. So if an entire availability zone goes down, that's two copies that are not responding, right? Plus another one to ma making three, the database will keep running. Okay, um, another option which uh, we want everyone uh, to know about if you haven't heard about it is Aurora Serverless. In Aurora, you can just uh, say that you don't want to choose your instance size at all. You just want it to scale up and down based on the load that your application creates on the database. So you start with a certain instance size, and if it sees a lot of traffic to the database, it'll just scale up to a bigger instance size without the application even seeing any disconnect. I mean, there's, as you see in the diagram, there's, between your application and the database, the yellow thing that says request routers, that's sort of like a proxy that holds the connections with the application. So even as we scale up the database behind the scenes or scale down, um, your application won't see any, in, any interruption. So you just uh, let it run, it'll scale up and down based on the demand. It can also scale down to zero if you want. 
The only issue with scaling down to zero is it takes a little bit longer, a few more seconds to, to start up with the smallest instance size. So it depends on what kind of application you're running. If this is a development and test system, for example, that's a classic case where you want it to just shut down. You know, you're not using it anymore. You don't have to remember to shut it down at the end of the day or the end of the week. It'll just scale down to zero. Then there's nothing running. You're paying zero for that database instance. And then when the first user comes along after the break, then it'll just go, it'll start scaling back up. If it's a website or something like that, you probably don't want to scale it all the way down to zero, but you want it to just go down to the smallest instance size if there's no traffic. So obviously this is the best option for applications which are um, unpredictable. You know, you have a website which shows, you know, news, and then suddenly there's a big news item and you have millions of people hitting that website. You can't really expect, you, you, you know, It'll respond faster than you would be able to respond and go and scale up the database. So it's uh, for unpredictable or cyclical that happen at certain times of day or infrequent access, it's a very nice option. Um, and there's a data API that helps you to access this database, which Chan will talk about um, in a few minutes. Okay, uh, a few more manageability and monitoring topics. One is just to say um, uh, a few more words about CloudWatch logs. So the database, as we said, can write all, the, all your logs to CloudWatch, which I'm sure most of you are using as a, lo you know, the lo a log system in, on AWS. Uh, the logs can be written to S3, as they always can in CloudWatch. And from there, you can take it to query tools like Athena, uh, which queries on S3 and, and other systems, and QuickSight, so you can do uh, all kinds of searches and, you know, the logs are basically available to you. And, the, you know, all the typical types of logs in, in MySQL databases, slow query logs, security logs, general logs, all of those are, are available. Um, you can search on them with Elasticsearch, you know, any, any tool that you want to, to search on logs. So all of these core, kind of core benefits of a MySQL database are, are still available. They're just more convenient and they're managed. Uh, let's talk a little bit about monitoring. So for monitoring, you have three options for an RDS MySQL database, or MariaDB. One of them is, is the basic CloudWatch metrics, which are available for any type of compute instance on AWS. So looking at CPU, storage metrics, memory swap, uh, you know, read and write latencies, all of these. These are kind of more at the compute uh, VM layer. So they're not specific to databases, but of course you can see them. Uh, one step up from that is enhanced monitoring if you turn it on, which you can do with one checkbox when you start an RDS instance. And that gives you uh, metrics that come from the operating system that the database is running on. So that gives you more information about CPU and memory and things like that that are specific to the database process, but that's still not really a very database-specific type of, uh, of data. Uh, so. The next step up from that, which is highly recommended for everyone, is to also use Performance Insights. Performance Insights is a database, is an RDS feature, database feature, which is available for any type of RDS instance. And it's, what it does is it shows you metrics which are specific to your database, um, to your database usage. Basically two major things, which are probably gonna be very familiar from other mon database management tools that you've used before. So one is metrics, um, that get tracked over time, such as CPU usage, um, I.O., um, weight, you know, various metrics um, that are related to uh, the, 
you know, to, to the transactions that your database is doing. And you can see them moving over time in the graph at the top. And the second thing is top SQL. So if there are SQL statements that are using a lot of resources, you can see them at the bottom. And of course, the colors match the ones we see in the graph. So if CPU is green, then we can see that the first transaction here, the select statement at the top is using a, you know, using a lot of CPU. And then you can look at, uh, you know, you can go and you can optimize your, your SQL statements. So this is useful both in production, if your database is slow and you want to find out why that's happening. And of course, also during development, as you're writing your application, it helps you to optimize your SQL queries. So let's look at a quick example of how we might use performance insights. And here, what we're, what we're looking at is a MariaDB example. We, this is another thing that came out in 2019. So in March, we added MariaDB um, support in performance insights. That was actually the last engine in RDS that we added, so now it supports all seven engines in RDS. So in this uh, MariaDB example, this is a case where the user uh, left auto commit on, meaning that every, uh, every transaction, every update that they do, they immediately write the data to disk, which means that in this example, it caused a high CPU usage. So you can see that the, you know, the green, especially the green section in the graph is, is, uh, is very high. Uh, these, uh, this load is measured in what we call average active sessions, which is a core uh, kind of uh, metric that we use to measure database load in Performance Insights. So if you start using Performance Insights, you will, you know, you will learn that in, on the first day, in the first five minutes. Um, that's the metric that basically counts how many transactions are waiting for the database to respond. And if it's too low, it means maybe the database is, uh, is idle and there's a problem. And if it's too high, then obviously there's a problem. So you want it to be kind of at a decent low level. Not too many uh, transactions are waiting. So in this case, there's too many waiting, and it's because it's doing all these writes, and that causes high CPU usage. After we turn it off, you can see that in this example, we're doing the commit separately, which is still using a lot of CPU, just like any of the uh, statements that we had before. But now all of the update statements are using very minimal CPU, if you know, almost nothing in some cases. So by looking at that, we were able to discover that we left it on, and that's how we discovered it. So what Performance Insights does, it keeps the, all of the data for seven days back, and, and that's for free. So that just comes as part of the RDS service. And if you want, there's a, there's a paid option to keep it for longer if you need more than seven days. But seven days should be enough for most people to, you know, to troubleshoot performance problems. Okay, uh, next manageability topic is recommendations. That's an option that got added to RDS a little over a year ago. And also in the category of what's new this year, uh, we added support for parameters. So it looks at specific parameters of your uh, database to give you recommendations if there are some settings that you, that you have that are not recommended according to our experience uh, running this huge database fleet. So things like you know, non-custom parameters like change buffering enabled, which, uh, which uh, slows you down as you do writes to your database, or the query cache. So query cache is a, you know, it's, it's a setting in MySQL that I guess it seemed like a good idea many years ago, but I think it's not even uh, supported in MySQL anymore. So uh, the idea that if, if I do the same query twice, then it'll just give me uh, the, the, the result out of the cache of the previous time I used that query, which seems to cause more trouble than it, than it saves. So if you set things like that, then you know, you'll see at the bottom left, you'll see that there's a recommendations with, you know, we have a few recommendations for you for how to change these settings. And you can, uh, 
you know, you can apply the settings that we recommend. You can dismiss it if, you know, maybe you have a good reason to, to set it like that. So, so these are some of the nice um, um, options that you get with a managed database service that you get these types of recommendations and you can, uh, you can set it accordingly. Okay, so with that, we'll move into the next topic. Um, also important consideration for choosing how to run your database, which is how do you make developers more productive as they're writing the applications that are using the database. So for that, let's switch uh, to Chan. Thanks, Yoff. Okay, so uh, management, amazing. You know, customization, you have control over it with RDS databases. You also want your developers to be able to use your databases as tools to power and quickly build you know, amazing, great uh, applications for your end customers. So let's look at what are some of the common you know, things that developers have to work through today. So you all are MySQL practitioners, or you're experienced with MySQL, you're familiar with how databases work. Applications interface with databases by establishing connections. And these connections consume compute and memory resources on your database server. Now think of a modern application, for example, something built on Lambda, a serverless application. Lambda can scale up to tens of thousands of requests in a matter of minutes. And that could create a storm of connections on your database server. What does that do? It consumes all that you know, precious compute and memory resources you typically want to be used only for queries for just spinning up these connections. So that's a very um, inefficient way of scaling an application. Uh, there's other pieces that, cost, uh, that developers have to also deal with, and that is you typically want your applications to be up and running and be resilient even when there are you know, systemic or transient failures. And for that, developers have to write retry logics. If there's a failover, there's a database uh, that's not operating at this point, you'd have to say, okay, this transaction didn't go through, I'm going to push back again. Uh, in terms of interacting with the database itself, you have password embedded uh, in your code or in a configuration file, which is not a very secure or safe way of operating. And uh, finally, to you know, get over or overcome all these you know, sort of things that developers have to build for, oftentimes we see customers deploy a proxy server. A proxy server is something that sits between your application and database, and your connections are pooled by this server so that even if there are, let's say in case of the serverless example I was taking, thousands of you know, connections being established, there's only a limited set that's going down to the database, and it's using those pre-established connections and sharing them continuously to uh, more efficiently scale on relational databases uh, your applications. But these uh, as, um, proxy servers are very similar to how you operate databases. You have to manage them yourself. You have to install the operating system, patch the operating system, patch the proxy itself. That's a lot of work. And then you have to make the proxy also highly available. So we are very excited to announce that RDS uh, proxy is now available in preview to all of you. You can give it a try right now. And it's a fully managed database proxy for Amazon RDS, uh, currently available for RDS for MySQL and Aurora uh, MySQL. And compatibility with Postgres, support for Postgres is uh, coming soon. So as I was describing, 
proxy, uh, RDS proxy gives you the ability to pool and share database connections so that you can write more scalable and efficiently scalable applications. It also increases your app availability, applications availability, because if there's a database failover that happens, so you're running in a high availability configuration, your database instance, primary instance is there, you have a standby in a separate availability zone. When the failover happens, the connections to the proxy don't get disconnected. If your application is directly talking to uh, the database instance, you will lose those connections. Versus if it is to the proxy, those connections persist. They are retained. And uh, once the failover completes, uh, the proxy immediately connects to the standby that comes up. Uh, all the credentials, your database credentials that you use, usernames and passwords that you uh, use for establishing these connections, they are now stored in AWS Secrets Manager. That's a, uh, again, it's a managed service for you know, storing and rotating your uh, database credentials, any types of usernames and passwords. And uh, it's available today uh, in five regions. It's all listed out there, so I'm not going to uh, iterate through all of them. Uh, specific versions that are supported, again, listed out there. And as I mentioned, support for Postgres is coming soon. This proxy is uh, available in preview. There's no charge till the end of this year, so give it a try. And uh, beyond that, you can look at the pricing and how much it's going to cost you. So a little bit more details uh, in terms of how the proxy functions. So as I was describing, the proxy is in between your you know, database and application. And uh, so it's providing connection pools. It's maintaining established set of connections for, uh, for your application. So whenever there's an application site request, it will match up to that. And uh, in addition to that, it is, uh, of course, uh, supporting seamless and faster failovers for your databases. I'll describe that more in detail shortly. And it integrates very closely with uh, uh, AWS IAM, Identity and Access Management, and Secrets Manager uh, to provide you the ability to build more secure applications. So let's talk about connection pooling and how it functions. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, you could have, as I said, like you know, multiple thousands of Lambda functions. You could have you know, hundreds of application servers. Instead of talking directly to your database instance endpoint, it talks to the proxy. The proxy manages and controls all uh, the connections that go down to the database level so that you can support many more application-side connections versus uh, uh, the number of database connections you establish with uh, the database from the proxy. The way it functions is that oftentimes when you establish or open connections from your application um, to the database, they are not continuously sending queries. You are not sending, you know, select this, insert that. There are gaps within those. And the proxy is smart enough that it identifies those gaps and then takes the backend connection, connection from the proxy to the database server, and uses that to serve another application request, which potentially at that point needs a, a database connection. So that way it is able to what we call as multiplex your database connections and support many more application side connections. It is also able to do load shedding for you. So if, for example, let's say it reaches the limits of what your database uh, can support, beyond that, it will st still continue to take connections, and with multiplexing, it can support more. It probably reaches a point where there's no more capacity left to even, you know, uh, in the database uh, uh, connection pool, 
that you can serve those incoming requests. So it gracefully just declines those connections. So that way you maintain um, predictable performance from your application, even under high load. There are a few things uh, that can happen as I was describing the multiplexing uh, um, operation. If you are using, let's say, a session variable, you set a session variable, for example, tracking a global count of uh, orders. That means that you want that variable to be not shared with other applications. It's possible that you do it. It's not really a best practice to track it that way. But if you do use that, then multiplexing will stop. So for the life of your application's connection, the database connection will be associated with it. But you do have the choice of opting out of that. And you can specify for, let's say, this session uh, variable that I'm setting don't stop multiplexing, continue to multiplex because I don't care. If another application sees this global order count, it's fine. So that's uh, an option that you have control over. Let's also look at how failovers are better with RDS proxy. So RDS supports uh, what's, what we call as multi-AZ deployments. These are databases which are deployed across multiple AZs. You get one primary instance, one, one, insta uh, one AZ, that is serving your application traffic. It's taking reads and writes. And in case of RDS, there's a standby instance, which, uh, which is synchronously replicated. So whenever if there's an issue, network connectivity issue, you are not able to access the primary instance, um, RDS automatically fails over. And we will get into the details of that. When that failover happens, because now your application is talking to the proxy, the proxy detects that a failover happened, and it stops running uh, queries from your application side to uh, their database server, holds them, pauses them. You will probably see uh, increase and increase in latency. But once the standby comes up, it immediately connects you to the standby. What it does in the process is it's bypassing the DNS endpoint. The endpoints of a database instance, RDS multi-AZ database instance, or even Aurora, uh, uh, database is, is the DNS endpoint. And whenever a failover happens, IP addresses have to be updated there. And that could take time, and maybe you have on your application side also set up TTLs, longer TTLs, which means your application doesn't see the new standby come up for some time, depending on your configuration. Versus here, because there's no DNS involved, it can just flip over. So you get up to 66 times faster failovers with the RDS proxy. Finally, a code example of what uh, IAM authentication and you know, secrets manager integration does for you in case of RDS proxy. So you can say in the proxy that I always require IAM authentication. So what it forces your developers uh, to uh, practice is that they don't embed passwords in their Lambda functions, application code, configuration files anywhere. Instead, your passwords, you will so store them in secrets manager and you will use a token generated by IAM to pass through to the proxy, which then enables, um, enables authentication to your database. So that's a code example written in Node.js for a Lambda function. So as you see, we generate the token, and the password you're passing is not actually a password. It's just a token that is auto-generated in runtime. Finally, um, you also have a choice of interacting with your database, interfacing with, with your database over HTTP, and that's a data API. This became available last year and is available for uh, Aurora Serverless. 
typically useful for scenarios where you are not able to potentially configure a database driver, JDBC driver. It's probably a very small, uh, tiny application, IoT application, which uh, you, know, you don't have much compute or memory there. So you want quick, short requests. It's very useful for those scenarios. So for the next uh, stage of you know, developments and new uh, announcements we have in Aurora, I'm going to transition over to my colleague, Yoff. Okay, thank you. Okay, let's talk a little bit about machine learning. Um, show of hands, how many of you have failed to notice that AWS talks about machine learning a lot these days? Um, so uh, one corner of this topic is, what, how do you run machine learning if the data that you want to run it on is sitting in a relational database, like MySQL? So how do you get the data from the database to the service that you want to run you know, to those services that are available at AWS and then run it there and then get the results back and put them back into your database. How does your application do that? So traditionally, it's been a lot of work to do that. So adding ML, especially if you want to just run predictions on the data. So you have data in your tables in the database and there's some algorithm that you want to run on it to get prediction for what the user is going to, what the customer is going to do, what the next, uh, you know, thing to, to, to do when you want to analyze text uh, run all kinds of algorithms on tabular data. So traditionally, you would first of all need to select or train the machine learning model. It might already be available, but if it's not available, if, you, if you're building machine learning models, you, know, you would build it, deploy it somewhere like Amazon SageMaker, and then you would need to write some application code that would go get the data, you know, query the data from the database, and then format the data because every machine learning model looks for a little bit of a different format. JSON, CSV, uh, text files, even if it's CSV, it can be different columns, so you need to carefully format that. And then you need to call the machine learning service, get the data back, reformat it back to whatever format you were using, and then load the results of the application or maybe write them down, you know, write them back to the database. You would have to build some kind of pipeline or ETL or something that will go through all of that. And there's not that many people that have done that successfully because there's so much work. So what people tend to do with data in their relational database is just do the whole thing offline. So you, know, you have some desktop tool, Jupyter, or one of those you know, machine learning tools, and then you just you, know, you read the data, you do something with it, and it's usually a, you know, a data scientist that will do that kind of work and look at the results, and the company will do something with those results. So how do you make the whole thing online so that your application can actually do that directly um, as part of your code? So Aura Machine Learning, which we released last week, um, it gives you a very, very simple, easy way to connect from, your data, from Aura directly to these machine learning services. And what it does, it's basically, it has an integration with some of our machine learning services, and we're gonna add more. At this point, we're, uh, we have SageMaker and Comprehend. I'll talk a little bit about them. And all you need to do is to basically use a SQL query using the syntax that I'm sure every one of you is an expert on as database developers, and you just have a function that calls the algorithm that you want. So I can just do a select statement where I just you know, uh, select uh, the, the, the columns that I want plus the result of that algorithm, and it's just another thing in my query, and that actually calls these machine learning services behind the scenes. So just a simple C uh, SQL statement, and it's low latency because we optimize the data transfer between Aurora on one side and the services on the other side, uh, which would have been a lot of work for you to do um, on your own. So in that way, we go from the six steps, or at least six steps that we saw now, to just three steps, where you optionally 
uh, train the model if you need to. Then in step two, you just run a SQL query, you get the results, and you know, your application has just read those values from the result. You can, in, you can update or, or insert them back into the database. You can you know, do something with them in your application. So let's look at some examples of what that might look like. The first example is fraud detection. So let's say that you're processing payments or credit card transactions or something like that, and you have an algorithm that detects fraud, right? And it looks at some of the data and decides whether, to, whether this transaction looks uh, suspicious. So you might put a database trigger where uh, the database trigger calls uh, a function, in this case called is transaction fraudulent, which you see on the left, and passes a, bun a, bunch, of, uh, you know, a bunch of columns to the function. And if it's equal to true, then you roll back that uh, transaction. It's, it's just uh, a piece of SQL. You don't have to know anything about SageMaker or wherever that, um, wherever that, that algorithm is running. Second example, which is maybe my favorite, is sentiment analysis. So you pass, so there's a, uh, an AWS service called Comprehend, which can do sentiment analysis. So you pass a piece of text, and it tells you if the sentiment was positive, negative, or neutral. So if you pass, you know, Cheyenne and Yoav are the worst speakers I've ever heard, then it'll probably, hopefully, say sentiment equals negative, and will give the probability of uh, what that sentiment was. So in this example, you can see that we're calling a function that's uh, you know, called AWS Comprehended Text Sentiment. And, if it, and the text EN means that it's in English. And then you know, if it was negative, we'll do whatever. So that might be a good thing to do. In, for example, if you have a customer service application or a website where your customers are entering feedback, and then if the feedback is negative or positive, you might want to do something about it. You don't have to wait for a data scientist to go and download and analyze. You can just, you can just do it in your application with one line of code. And the, th the third example is if you have a classification algorithm where you're looking at customer spending history, for example, and you're trying to, cla to classify customers by um, how much they're predicted to spend in the future, you might uh, run an algorithm called you know, prediction, you know, predicted future spend, and you know, I just made that up, and that will, uh, you know, you'll do something with those, um, with those customers. And there's a lot of algorithms available in SageMaker, and you can basically run any algorithm you want, plus a bunch of other services. Um, so one final thing on Aura machine learning is how are we optimizing this data transfer? So um, I mentioned that we built a mechanism that transfers data back and forth, forth so that you don't need to do that yourself. So how do we do that? So let's say in this example that I have um, a table full of user feedback and, and you know, great product, good job, bad job, whatever, and we want to analyze the sentiment of these, uh, every row in this table. And as it happens, Comprehend is a service that can uh, receive 25 rows at a time. So there is a batch interface uh, where you can uh, transfer, and that really saves a lot of network traffic, right? Because the latency would add up if we did it one row at a time, go to, to comprehend and back and comprehend and back. So what we do is we batch these. So no matter how many rows you have in your table, uh, we would, in this case, transfer the first 25 rows to comprehend and get the result back. That would be done asynchronously. So while your application is waiting for the query to return, um, Aura can send that request to comprehend. Aura can go on and do other things. For example, like sending the next 25 rows, the whole thing is asynchronous. And then when all the results are back, then the query will go back to your, uh, to your application. So all of that is done asynchronously. You can configure the number of rows depending on how well, how well your algorithm can scale. So some algorithms 
are, you know, can do great with thousands or you know, tens of thousands of rows at a time. If that's the case, you know, set the batch size to be much bigger and then the whole thing will go, uh, will go much faster. Okay, so uh, switching topics, let's uh, say a few words about the next uh, thing on our list, which is performance. So um, a few quick things about how RDS um, helps with, uh, with performance. So the first thing is read scaling. So as we, we touched on before, you can have read replicas uh, for your MySQL database where you have the primary instance that is reading and writing, plus you can have up to five read replicas. And those re read replicas, each of them can also have a standby instance, uh, typically in a different availability zone, so that all this entire uh, setup of one plus five uh, database instances becomes more highly available and more resilient. Uh, each of them can do bin log, bin log replication. You can, you can use GTID if that's turned on in the, uh, if that's also turned on in the MySQL database on the other side. Okay. Um, um, talking for a little bit about Aurora. So in Aurora, which is um, the kind of enhanced uh, MySQL engine, you can have up to 15 read replicas. So that gives you uh, more read scalability. And uh, um, the, repli the replication lag is very low because uh, all of these replicas are sharing the storage with the primary instance. So you remember that we talked about the new storage system that has six copies of your data and all of that. So all of these read replicas are sharing the same storage, which means that the replication is very quick and uh, you can also, and you can configure each of these read replicas just according to the size that you need. Um, and then one last point, if you see at the top that we're talking about reader endpoints, what you might want to do is if you have different applications that are accessing the same database, maybe one of them is the transaction processing and another one is maybe an analytics uh, application that's reading data, then what you might want to do is configure a different endpoint so that each of them goes to the read replica that you want. So for analytics, you might have a read replica with, I don't know, lots of memory, or something like that, and you can choose and configure these different endpoints, but they're all going to the same database and they're all going to the same storage. And then uh, one last thing about uh, that is just to compare the I.O. profile of a standard MySQL database with the one that you have in Aurora. So the main thing that we're saying on this slide is essentially that if you look at the left side, a, a traditional MySQL database has a replica, you'll notice that the replica has its own storage. So even though it's, a, it's intended as a read replica, it actually is not just reading, it's also writing, right? Because all the data that it receives has to be written to its own separate storage, even though it's only serving reads. In the case of Aurora, on the right side of uh, the slide, you'll notice that all of the replicas are reading from the same shared storage. So that means that the, re that the read replicas are truly just uh, doing 100% reads, um, either from their cache or from the storage underneath. So that gives much, uh, you know, much higher uh, throughput in terms of transactions and the number of IOs for every transaction is much lower. And when we look at benchmark results, uh, we can see that comparing um, a standard uh, MySQL database um, to, uh, to Aurora, if you look at the write throughput and the read throughput, the main thing where you gain is that the throughput of Aurora is much higher. So typically up to five times the throughput of a standard MySQL database. So if scalability and, and performance is important, then um, or it's definitely something you, you might want to look at. Okay, and with that, let's move on to the next topic, which is availability. So, Chan, over to you. Thanks. 
So as I was saying before, like you could have you know fully managed database, amazing you know controls over how you operate your database, great features, uh, machine learning. You have fully managed proxy. All that wouldn't quite matter if your database is not running. You need it running and operating all the while, right? So we provide high availability configurations uh, on RDS. We call it multi-AZ uh, instances, and I'm going to give. Uh, quick deep down uh, you know, demonstration of how um, the failover happens, how we operate that. So as you see here in availability zone one, you have your primary instance, and that's operating, that's running, and your application is talking to it. And uh, RDS continuously monitors uh, uh, these instances. You also have a standby instance which is getting synchronously replicated in a second availability zone. And for context, an availability zone in AWS you know, terms is essentially a cluster of data centers which are isolated. So uh, if what happens in one, the other uh, doesn't get impacted. And when I said synchronous replication between the primary and the standby, this is happening at the operating system level. It's not block replication, so it's faster. Uh, your standby is not available for reads in case of RDS uh, multi-AZ instances. It's there so that it can immediately come up when, whenever you need it, if there's a failover that has to be done. RDS monitoring um, can, uh, continuously monitors these instances so that there's no split brain situation. So in distributed systems, it's possible these are two instances. Each instance thinks that, hey, my partner is down. I'm going to become the writer. I'm going to become the primary. So you want to avoid those situations. So RDS becomes the you know, third party sort of observer, which observes which instance uh, is not healthy and then promotes the other one. So that's automated failover for you. You can also initiate the failover on your own. Maybe you want to go to another availability zone and keep it closer to your application server, which is also running in avail that availability zone. So you can do that with limited downtime. And once this failover is initiated, the DNS records get updated. And your application, because it's talking to this uh, DNS endpoint, the uh, multi-AZ uh, database or instance endpoint, it knows that now a new instance is there, so it will start talking to it. And as I was describing previously, if you're using a proxy, this process becomes much faster because you can avoid the DNS. The proxy is what does the uh, you know, reconnect for you without impacting on the application side, you don't see disconnects. Um, next, I'm going to describe how this failover is even better on Aurora. So as we described previously, there are up to you know, multiple read replicas, 15 read replicas you can have in an Aurora cluster, which is talking to the same shared storage. Uh, so the failover's are very quick, and the reason why it's quick is uh, the crash recovery process is faster in Aurora. So whenever a database fails over, it's as good as a database crashed and you have to recover. So let's say you had some durable transactions, of course, and some transactions in flight. The database has to figure out, okay, what was committed, what was not committed, and get to a consistent stage. And the way it is done is you uh, essentially checkpoint your data typically every five minutes and then record the logs. And these logs, as you're recording them, these are coming through multi-threaded uh, processes, essentially, right? So whenever each query is being executed, you have multiple um, uh, you know, threads that are processing your queries. Um, so when you have to recover and you try to replay this five minutes of logs, they could take several minutes or 
maybe an R, because in MySQL, traditional MySQL, this recovery process is single-threaded. Whereas when you come to Aurora, Aurora uses its distributed storage layer and it's log structured, so each log and the delta of it is recorded. So the recovery just happens from the previous, you know, most consistent state we had and playing forward the logs that are there. And it's all distributed across, depending on the size of your database, hundreds or thousands of storage nodes. So we can parallelize all this process and it's a multi-threaded recovery process. So it gives you much faster recovery times. In case of Aurora, the failure times come down to typically 30 seconds. So that's about availability. An extended concept of availability is disaster recovery. So availability is, you know, short-term events, quickly something happens, uh, network availability, you are not able to talk to one of the availability zones, you go on to another one. In case of disaster recovery, it's like a large-scale entire region, you are not able to reach, there's a hurricane, there's a fire, whatever happens. So how do you provide solutions for it? So uh, RDS provides uh, several options. We talked about read replicas uh, previously. Those were in region, within a region, you're creating bin log read replicas. With RDS MySQL and MariaDB, you can also create up to five cross-region read replicas. So you can send them across five different locations. So that helps you with two use cases. One is, of course, disaster recovery. If something goes wrong, you have the second region available, third region available, maybe that, that can start serving requests for your application if something happens. The second benefit there is that you can use these read replicas to serve reads to your applications and users closer to them. So it's faster access to your data, closer to your end users. The other option in terms of disaster recovery we provide is that the database snapshots you take, those also you can um, uh, copy over to another region, maybe another account if you want to. With Aurora, global database, it was announced at reInvent last year, um, you get a faster and uh, enhanced data disaster recovery solution. So as we described, in Aurora, we have this distributed purpose-built storage layer, and there's replication happening, six, six copies across three availability zones. With global database, what we have done is we have extended that replication scheme to another region. So now you have dedicated replication uh, infrastructure which is taking your you know, redo logs, essentially that's what it is based on, and sending it across to a secondary region. So very low latency, under one second typically across regions, East Coast, West Coast, uh, US, Europe, whatever you're looking at, you're able to replicate. Uh, two weeks or three weeks back, we announced also support for multiple secondary regions in global database. So you can now create up to five secondary regions in an Aurora global database. Each of those can have up to 16 instances in their clusters, so that's also there. So you can use it not just for disaster recovery, as I was uh, saying, and also for read scaling with very low latency. Of course, it's a disaster recovery solution, so when you need it, for recovering from a disaster, it has to be better as well, and it is. Uh, so in this case, uh, if you fail over for whatever reason to a secondary region, uh, the recovery time is typically under a minute. It happens very quickly, and because of the reasons as I described previously. And finally, you know, security is something everyone cares about. You want your databases to be secure, your applications to be secure, everything to be secure. So for that, I'm going to hand over to yep. you all. Thank you very much. So the last topic um, on our list is security. Um, so this is one more consideration that you might want to look at for choosing a managed database service instead of running your own. So 
how do you secure your database? So obviously there's a few different uh, security uh, capabilities that are pretty typical across AWS, which are supported by RDS. So one of them is uh, VPCs, where you basically almost anything that you connect with anything, you want to do it over a VPC. You can put your application in the same VPC as the database or a different one, or you can set it up so that you can connect to the database from the outside world. But either way, you want to do network isolation exactly to the degree that you want. Um, at the resource and, ac and you know, access management level, you can use uh, Identity and Access Management, IAM, and we'll, we'll say a few more words about that before we finish. Um, and you can do encryption using KMS, which is our standard uh, key management service, which is used for many other services. And you can set SSL uh, connections, which is highly recommended uh, for every MySQL database. So two last things about security. One is password validation. So this is a MySQL plugin that you might be familiar with, you might already be using outside of RDS. So that is now supported um, for an RDS MySQL instance. And then by um, adding it as a parameter group, you can see that we now have uh, password, uh, we can set up password rules through the plugin. So if you want to do something like set minimum password length, maximum password length, uh, how many, you know, how often customers need to, or users need to replace their passwords, all of those things, you can do it through the plugin. At least that's one way of enforcing passwords. And the second thing I wanted to mention is IAM permissions for those of you familiar with adding permissions to a database. Um, in RDS, we've always had a way to add an IAM role to the database, which can control access to that database. What we've added now for Aurora, which came out actually last week, is that if you're accessing an, uh, another service from Aurora, and there's four other services that can be accessed from Aurora, which are S3, Lambda, um, Comprehend, and SageMaker. So Comprehend and SageMaker were actually new with the machine learning project. So now you can control this very easily from the RDS console. All you need to say is, I want to access S3. I want to dump my data from Aura into S3. And here's the name of the bucket that I'm going to do it in. And then with two clicks, you're done. And now Aura has access to that bucket, but to no other bucket. So you can configure these things very easily here from the console. So that kind of wraps up our discussion. Um, think of the different options. I think for the Ma vast majority of people, um, RDS will provide what you need from a MySQL data database, except for maybe some edge cases. So it saves you lots of effort and gives you more better performance, better availability, and uh, other, um, other benefits that we've talked about. So that concludes our, uh, our presentation, and I think you've seen these slides in many other sessions. So thanks very much, and this, these are um, our contact information.